Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. We're back again into the book of Malachi. And from, you know, kind of swerving off of that a little bit last week to talk about you know, the issue of, you know, how, how we're to deal with, how we're to deal with, uh, you know, the issue of, you know, trans and gender identity and all that ungodliness. But now let's get back to the book of Malachi. And just for a quick overview for those of you listening and watching, as we go real quickly, right, we know that Malachi was the last prophet, the last spoken word of God that we had until the coming of John the Baptist approximately 420, 430 years later. We see it as a letter of stern rebuke See, as it started off, I think the most important issues to understand were laid out right in the very first chapter. The the heart of the whole problem. These people had grown cold-hearted towards the Lord. We've talked at great lengths about that. They didn't see, they didn't understand, they didn't believe the Lord loved them or looked at them any differently than anybody else. And that was obvious because in that was it really led to over and over worse and worse sin. We talked about it's pointed out that even though they went through the motions of worship, it was, wasn't with the right heart attitude. That was obvious because even though they knew to bring you know the best, they bought the lame and the sick. And even, even what they had stolen from others and offered that up as sacrifice, it's no different than you know, today. It's kind of like when, when a reformed one of us would say from the pulpit, well, you're taking the grace of God in vain. You know, there's always been grace, but they understood the sacrificial system was set up, right, to, to foreshadow the coming of Christ and the ultimate sacrifice. But they were to give sacrifices, you know, and offerings and that, but they were doing so with a cold heart, and they were not following the commandments God had specifically laid down to worship him. Another thing they did, they also were, you know, sinning against one another. And specifically, so what he pointed out was they were taking upon foreign wives, and in a lot of cases divorcing and putting out their first wives which were children of God and another thing grievously sinning against God and the covenant he made between them and the commandments that he laid down to them so we see their hearts were cold and they weren't at that and even though he'd point out again and again their sin they would not acknowledge their sin and therefore they obviously they're not acknowledging their sin so they're not going to repent because they didn't believe they were sinning you know what? We're doing it, Lord. And even like now, how can we relate that to now today? Maybe, well, I come to church. I'm going through the motions. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going through the motions. I'm, uh, I'm singing with the, I'm singing the song. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the word. But where's our heart? Where's our heart? Do we really mean it? And only we truly know is our heart for God. Is our heart with God? Is our heart looking towards God? Do we love God? 
or are we just going through the motions? Are we just going through the motions and feel it's all obligatory? But now we, uh, we come to chapter 3. And we finished that last time off showing that chapter 3, and we, and we went through verse 6. And the main thing I want to remind about is, remember, even though they, they finished out chapter 2, with wearying the Lord with their words, you know, saying, and again, right, wherein have we worried him? <laughs> when you say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or where is it got a judgment? And then he tells them twofold, well, one, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before, right, the man I will send, who is the Lord. And we looked extensively at that, that that is one of the clearest and, and profoundest prophecies and word that we show and it's verified in the New Testament, right, that one, that messenger was John the Baptist, and two, the one that was coming to his temple was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we see that, and we talked about how that covers two things. The first part, right, he is coming, right, but he's really going all the way forward right there and he's talking about his second coming when he returns now is the age of grace but when he returns right those that are rejecting him and those that are continue on being wicked and everything right will be severely judged but and the main thing I want to point out too remember in verse 6 of chapter 3 before we finished off here for I am the Lord I change not therefore ye sons of Jacob were not consumed even though right he always had his remnant he would not completely consume the people of Israel, though they had time and time and time again sinned, gone astray from him, done so wickedly against him. He judged them, and he restored them. And then they went and did the same thing again. And it always was worse than the time before. <clears throat> but he says since his covenant promise that he would not utterly consume them, right? that's the reason they were not, because he doesn't change. We may change. They did change, but God doesn't. And we can hold that, hold that on to today too, right? He treats his people differently than he treats those that aren't his. And, and that's where it all, he just says, right, he, he waits, you know, and, and judgment waits. And the long, the long suffering and forbearance of God leads godly to repentance always uh, I want us to just uh, read uh, some of chapter 3 starting at verse 7 before we do over anything I've said or anything we've discussed up to this time in Malachi does anyone have any questions or comments very good then let's start reading in verse 7 because now he gets into another specific charge even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them return unto me and I will return unto you look a call again repent right a call for repentance you want to know what repentance really is yeah it's not necessarily confession of our sins it's, it's acknowledging our sin and turning from it he points it out we acknowledge it we turn from it that's repentance. 
Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Again, right? Claiming in ignorance. And I believe in their heart of hearts, they're like, hey, what's the problem? They didn't see their sin. They didn't acknowledge their sin. They saw what they were doing. They were okay. Will a man rob God? And the best way I look this up, this word rob is the only time this particular Hebrew word is used for rob. And the best way to say it would be this. Will a man defraud God? Yet ye have defrauded me. But ye say, wherein have we defrauded thee in tithes and offerings? Let us out there for a minute. Defrauded. So what I get from this is, right, just like these, they were, they were going through the motions in their worship, in their presenting the sacrifices, right? Here, I believe they were giving something. They were giving but they obviously knew they were not giving with their hearts and they were not giving according to the law, which is very specific about, about giving in tithes and offerings. And there were tithes, and we're going to get extensive on that too. The tithes were in all essence really a national tax used for a variety of reasons. And offerings are throughout the Old Testament also. You know, get given directly unto the poor, you know, given over and above tithes, given, you know, or for that. But he's just saying, right, their heart attitude wasn't right about it. And they're defrauding him. This example I can give, we can describe this, Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that story from Acts. They sold their property. And they come before the church and give part of what they received for that. But they declared they were giving it all. Right? And then God struck them down. For an example, right? They have not lied to men, but lied to God. They are trying to make a show of it. You know, patting themselves, look how great we are. Like if I had a thousand dollars, you know, I give a five hundred dollars and saying it's all I had from this blessing I got, but really what I sh what I should have given if I was declaring that was a thousand dollars. I'm purposely lying and defrauding, right? And <clears throat> that's a good way to a, a good way to look at it. But they knowingly they they knew what they they were doing, right? They weren't giving what they were supposed to give. And I want to I'm going to go on. We're going to read a few more verses here, and then I want to talk about what about tithing today? Does it apply to us today? What's how how does a Christian, right, supposed to take this and act upon it today? Okay. Wherein have we robbed thee? That was our question, right? They denied it. In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. If you recall we were talking about it, right? Where is the God of judgment? You know, uh, later on if you drop down to uh, thirteen through fifteen Right? Why have we kept his ordinances? Look, you know, the proud are, are lifted up, right? Those that are done wicked, you're lifted up. In other words, they weren't doing so well as a nation. And it was because of that. It's simply because of that, because they weren't following his ordinances. And specifically, one of the specific things was they were not giving the appropriate tithes unto the Lord. 
bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, or test me now, do this, saith Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you should be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. First of all, what's he saying when he said, I'll pour you out such blessing? He was simply saying, well, now, right, you're having low amounts of crops. You're, you know, your, your animals are not producing the way they could, and a lot of them are getting sick, and the grounds are like being infested and, and being like this, right? I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll give you plentiful harvest, you know, and I, I will prosper you. And prospering just mainly means, right, you'll have more than enough. But I want to explain a few things how this applies to us today. Does the tithe apply to us today as it did when they're speaking this? Because the real reason why I get in this, first of all, I've experienced firsthand early in my Christian walk being part of the going into the charismatic movement. And they twist. This is one of the main verses they use to get you to give them a lot of money. In believing that, right, to give unto them, and you'll be mighty blessed. And they use this, but this is one of the cornerstones of it, you know, to, you know, to keep bringing, you know, you over, and you'll be mightily blessed. You'll be greatly materially blessed if you do so. First of all, I'll make a statement. Well, and the other people, there's bad teaching because people use this to try to guilt and shame, right, the, you know, the people in their church into giving money to them and giving them even more money, right? And there's a lot of false teaching or ignorant, misunderstood things about this. First of all, let me mention one thing. I do not believe, well, I can tell you in the New Testament, there is no place in the New Testament that we are commanded and ordered to tithe. So we're not under obligation to tithe, as they did. Secondly, I'll bring you something out about, about it, and, I, and I'll agree, I'll just use his name, happen to be, you want to look this up, John MacArthur has a real good teaching on this, but, and I, I agree with him, but it's not just because John MacArthur says it, I, I've always felt this. Well, I felt this way for, let's say, the last... 25 plus years after looking into it and experiencing what happens when you follow the other teaching. <laughs> but uh, the tithe was basically a national tax. And remember that it was used to take care of various national needs. First, there was a 10% tithe, and that provided for the care of the priests and the Levites and the temple and the things of the temple that provided for their care and also the upkeep of the house of God. Then there was another tithe, and that provided everything for all the various national celebrations they had. And I mean, this is kind of a Reader's Digest condensed version, but you can read them. There's a lot about tithing, but read it. It was a command, and it was very specific. Then there was, once every three years, there was another tithe, 10%, that was to be given 
you know, of the produce and that, and directly to go for the care of the poor. So basically, it was taxes. And if you break that down, 10% a year, another 10% a year, and then another 10% every three years, you basically got 23 and a third percent. Surprisingly enough, we actually developed our tax code based upon that. And if you look at the average person, except those that have their own businesses, and that's just wrong, they perverted it, but in the beginning it was basically you, you had a business that you basically paid about 20% tax. It, it's fun, funny that way in that, but... Anyway, uh, that being said, I don't believe right, that's done away with because right, those that's that's part of the obligatory, you know, rules on that. That's not part of the Ten Commandments. Not that it's not something we're held to, right now. But back then they were, because that's the way, right? By not doing it, the priests were not being provided for, which I think also led to the fact is they were they were skirting everything. Remember the whole nation? He, he directed the priests because they knew a lot better. But I think a lot of that contributed to the furtherance of sin because, hey, at least we're getting something. We say something, maybe we won't get anything, right? And they feared man instead of fearing God and, and so on. But you look that up, and as I mentioned, and there was free will offerings. There were offerings over and above the tithes. That's why I mentioned tithes and offerings, right? People could, you know, give unto the poor, uh, you, know, get, you know, give... Just, you know, give, you know, be generous, be merciful. The, the Old Testament talks about that too. But the main thing about it is heart attitude. Their heart attitude had grown cold before God. And not only, right, they weren't giving offerings, obviously, and they weren't knowingly holding back and giving less than what was required. And God said they were defrauding him of what was rightfully his, because it's all his anyway, and he asked for a certain amount to be given, you know, for the celebrations, for the care of the temple, for the care of the poor and everything, and they're disregarding that. Now, I want to get into what do we see in the New Testament clearly showing us. In the New Testament, I believe you could say it's free will giving. But in the sense, what I mean by free will is, let us give heartily, generously, as the Lord has provided to us. And we see examples of what we are to give unto and how do we know we're giving unto the Lord, for instance. Well, first, let's just kind of... Uh, oh, before I get into that, I want to mention one thing. On giving, as far as giving myself... I hold to something called the principle of the tithe. What I mean by that is the principle of the tithe being in Genesis chapter 14 and Genesis chapter 28. We see in Genesis 14, we see where Abraham, after the slaughter of the kings, met Melchizedek, a type of Christ, right? And he gave him 10%. That was approximately 700 years before the tithing system, before the nation of Israel existed and the tithing system was set in place. Then approximately about 150 years later, give or take, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, vowed 10% unto the Lord of all his increase, right, of what the Lord provided to him. He would give 10%. And the reason I think that 10% is put in there, why did God put it in there? Why did, he, why did he mention it to us again through Jacob and Abraham and in Jacob? 
right? But then not again, we don't hear about the tithes being set down specifically in the law. You know, just, I believe it's because, you know, we can be moved by emotion. We can sometimes, unfortunately, get get misled or get caught up in a fever like someone starts preaching really hard. And, you know, you hear people out there, uh, a good name to mention it just because he's really out there and his name's pretty well known, a guy named Francis Chan. He says, really, to be a good disciple of Christ, you give it all away. And he even teaches in that, hey, and set yourself up on some kind of assistance program with the government. You know, give all your money to, you know, to missionaries to support them. Of course, then if you're not working, right, be out there serving the Lord. That's the only way you're a true disciple. Of course, if there's no one working, right, then where is this to come from? That's what he says. Well, sign up, get, get checks from the government, and that's why you support them. And that's just utterly unbiblical and ungodly and unwholesome. And really, it's like, it's no different taking from others to give them to themselves. That's not God's way, Right. People like Francis Chan, other people like them in that. Where, where, where does their actual support come from? It comes from people who work. It comes from people who work and freely give under their ministries, even though I would not recommend giving under his. But uh, anyway, with that being said, does anyone have any comments about what I mentioned about the tithing or the principle of tithe or anything? Okay. And I'm not saying anyone's bound to that. Just for me... For me, that's a minimum. That doesn't necessarily mean just that's what I will give directly to my church or that's just what I'll give as a whole. But I just know that for me, like when I get paid, it's 10% off the top. Minimum. Minimum. Because that's easy for me in a sense to budget, just to know, right? And I do freely give that. I joyfully give it. I mean, I don't jump up and down, whoo-hoo, but I'm glad to give. I can't wait to do it because I also know just like the promises and we'll, we'll take a look at that, right? He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully, right? Set up where your, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But he promises when you give, right? He remembers us. There's some truth. There, the only reason that word of faith stuff is spread so much, there is some truth to that. When you remember the Lord and give unto the Lord, you won't be in want, you, you, I mean, it generally, by and large, that is what the Bible teaches. And let's look at some things. What, for First, you know, what are places, examples we've seen in the Bible and the clear teaching we have about giving? If you would go to uh, the book of Acts, well, first, go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Because the Bible <laughs> talks a lot about what we're to do with our money and what we're not to do with our money. But in uh, Matthew chapter 6, I really like, again, you know, he just, you know, as our Lord does, he always gets right to the issue, right? <clears throat> in Matthew 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. By the way, I'll just say one thing. There's also teaching out there that say, well, your talents or your service or you're serving the Lord, like preaching, teaching, you're up uh, part of a worship team, let's call it, or you help clean the church, or you're doing stuff like that. They'll say that, that that's just like tithes and offerings. No, it's not. Because thieves can't steal my 
teaching, right? It's material things is what he's obviously talking about here. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, just like Malachi, right? Their heart was not right before God. And it's a heart issue. And I can tell you one thing. If we're giving unto the Lord and we're doing it generously, and we're doing it because we can see that he leads us to do that and, and you know, we will be less tied to our money. If we hold back in that, we become more tied to our money. It's a hard issue. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He's not saying, right, give it all away, that it's, that it's wrong to build up savings, you know, because Old Testament's rife with examples of that and also talks much about leaving an inheritance for your children. Obviously, to leave an inheritance, you can't give it all away, right? But to be wise, right, there's a balance there. But it is true. You ask anybody or you even think about it for a little while, right? If, if you're spending the very vast majority of your stuff on yourself, I mean, going beyond your needs, and you're spending much more on yourself, almost all you have on yourself, and basically being stingy before God and his works, then where's your heart? It's not with God. Yeah, go ahead, Dean. Yeah. Yeah, communists really like using using the example of Acts, you know, and we're gonna get to, but it's so true. They, they twist it, you know. Different different groups for different pe- purposes have just so twisted this teaching about true Christian giving and what the Bible teaches about it. And just like you said, where where what where does the Old Testament apply, and what are the differences now compared to it? But again, it's a hard attitude. And to think that now in Christian that we're free from any giving, that we're, we don't have to give it all. And in a sense, <laughs> we don't have to. But I, I would just say this. Well, let, let's go on and keep reading. Let, let's just see the word of God and basically let it speak for itself. Amen. But go to Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, And he, our Lord Jesus, said unto them, take heed, right? <laughs> Close guard, right? Really pay attention to this. Take guard and beware of covetousness, right? An, a, a bad and evil desire, right? An evil desire to 
hoard things up or to want something, right? For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself. And here's the key. Again, remember it talks about in the Old Testament is rife with examples of, right, parents laying up wealth for their children. And, you know, obviously, right, I mean, to, to have savings and, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's fine, you know, if we work and we work hard and we labor for things to treat ourselves to some things and have some things. The Bible's rife with that. But here's the real point again. And is not rich toward God. So as God provides for you, and, and if you do increase, but remember to remember God and be rich towards God. And don't you know, spend yourself accordingly. And it's fine to have things like that, but don't forget God. Have your heart right before God. Yeah, yeah. And it's just foolish, and you can see that when you go back to Malachi, right, just a after him re reproving them for this very thing, their heart not being right with God towards their proper giving and taking care of the things he had commanded them to take care of and the people he commanded them to take care of. And then they say, what's the point on serving God in that? You know, I mean, he, he sets up, look, the wicked are doing great. You know, and, that, and he reproves them again. Their heart had gone so far. <coughs> it, it, God's reproving. They're denying. They're not accepting. They're not repenting. Right? Over and over again. You know, a, a letter of strong rebuke. But when it comes down to it, we can look at that very first, right? They did not think that God loved them, that he cared for them, any more than he did the wicked. And therefore, right, you can just see, right, any believer... Any person of God that would think God doesn't care for them has some serious problems going on. Because all he's done for us in that, and he's showing it. And if we haven't also in our own life experienced the goodness of God, I would say, are you saved? Are you born again? Do you have the Spirit of God in you? You know, I'm not saying it's all, not all a bed of roses, but it's certainly to be, to be believing that God does not love us 
you know, I mean, more than we could imagine. And as, as Yeah. Yep. Uh, and when, yeah, when you were talking about prayer, when you were giving that example of prayer, right? The focus is on himself. And there it is. Do we become selfish? Do we become covetous? Do we just want to build up stuff for ourselves? And if, if God's given us that privilege and he has, you know, more greatly increased us, and we have more than enough. And some people, their more than enough is a lot more than other people's more than enough, right? But are they being rich towards God? Are they giving accordingly? as they're doing that, right? Because if they're still given like the same hundred after knowledge should be made up, right? Eventually, I'll guarantee you, if they're one of God's people, he's going to chastise them for that. And they're going to start wondering in that why, why the blessings have seemed to slow down, so to speak. But we're going on, drop down to verse 34 of that same chapter, chapter 12. Oh, verse 33. Sell that ye have, again, just follow with me, and I'm going to make a comment at the end of this. I want to read 33 and 34. Sell that ye have and give alms. You know, give unto the poor. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Right? Same thing that he, that he just said earlier. Right? Where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. Verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he's talking to those of us, right, that... If our life consists of our possessions, if we're in love with our possessions, right? If our possessions are more to us than other people are, than God is, then we got a heart problem. We have a heart problem. And our heart has grown and starting to grow cold and hardened, right? And we need to repent of that. But, uh, I want to go on one other place in Luke, chapter 18. <clears throat> and it's just, again, just showing that there's various places. There's many more. But in Luke 18, and this is 22, and this is after the man came up, right, and questioned him, saying, what should I do to keep all the law? And then Jesus told him, he said, I've done all these things. Then he tells this rich man, verse 22, now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. It keeps talking about treasure in heaven. So there is a truth greatly hidden by the charismatics who pervert it, right? But in a sense, you could say it's kind of like our, our heavenly bank account. But what it is, God knows our heart, and he knows when we give unto him, I guarantee you, he makes sure if things do come along, He's going to provide for us. And I'm here to witness in over 30 years, in 35 years, he always has. Even when I've messed up, even when I've fallen on my face, we've been givers. <laughs> my wife, here to confess it too, we've been givers, and God's been faithful to that, those promises he's given concerning giving. You know, not, you know, you know 30, 60, 90 fold, all, all this nonsense they throw out there, but does he provide for his own when they have a heart towards him? Yes. And one way to keep our heart from going cold toward him is not just storing up and holding on to like 
all that we have. But that it's okay to hold on to some and build and build things up, right? I kept mentioning that, but in the Old Testament, it's ripe with that, right? But just wanted to show again, and he said that, remember this man, we remember before, this is the same example, this man was very rich. Obviously, you know, right? The, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Because it'll harden you and you'll focus on that money and you'll love those, that thing or those things. And then if that's the case, right, then all other evil come upon you. You'll start doing anything to protect what's, you know, yours and your possessions, right? Instead of not loving them. You can to enjoy them, yes. To love them, no. There's a big difference there. But now I want to quickly get into where do we see specific examples of, of giving and everything? Well, first of all, we see people's hearts when we're Christians. What should our heart be? What are the examples we're given over and over and over again in the New Testament? And the teachings and, and, and the really explicit teachings. Really, I mean, when, when you read them for what they are in the context where they are and you understand them, but first, go to Acts chapter 2. Dean just, uh, you know, bought this up where a lot of people misuse, misuse this and the communists love it because they say we're all supposed to be communal living and, you know, not own anything. And you already talked about that. Well, that'd be a violation of God's law because it's okay to enjoy the fruits of your labor and you're supposed to store up, you know, you pass on an inheritance to your children. Well, if you're not saving anything or storing anything up, you have no inheritance to pass on. So obviously that's not true. It's okay to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But to what extent, right? You also be rich towards God at the same time. But uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, where am I at here? In Acts chapter 2, go to verse 44. Verse 44, chapter 2. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, Dean did a real good job when I remember he, he preached on this a while back. You know, he mentioned, I believe it was you, Dean. But, you know, you mentioned how they twist this. Now, imagine this. The people were all in Jerusalem. They were there for the feast. Thousands and thousands of people. Now, many of these people, right, we know thousands had come to Christ. And now here they were living in this city, right? They weren't going back home. They were staying a little bit, right? They're being fed, right? They're, they're born again. They're learning all these things. So people who had were helping out and providing for those that had not. It wasn't a commandment for us. It was just that's what it was. There was believers there that had need. So those that had abundance helped those that had need. It's of the heart, right? You help other believers who have need. You'll notice that the biggest part on this is... First and foremost, right, you put the works of God and you put believers first in giving. Uh, that's something that's very, very apparent in Scripture. But go to Romans 15. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing, nothing. Yeah, they say to live all communal living, but all their leaders and they live fat on the hog, right? Just the people that they, that they control are supposed to live like paupers and, and be happy. But they own what they have. They'll say they don't, but go ahead and, and, go ahead and, then go ahead and try to take a piece of it. Yeah, you'll find out really quick how evil these pe those people are. But uh, go to Romans 15, starting in verse 25. This is Paul, you know, sharing, you know, sharing with us. 
and for all time we can read, right? But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Again, there are still saints at Jerusalem, right, suffering and in need, right? It hath pleased, verse 27, it hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in carnal things. So obviously because we know that the vast majority of those in Jerusalem saints were converted Jews, right? But he says, right, that we came from them because that's how it's the Judeo-Christian faith, right? We just know that Jesus is the promised Messiah and he has come and he has died for us and he has been buried and he has rose again. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. But one day, they'll know. God will reveal real to them as the seeds as along the way to other people. But I want to bring on one thing, verse 28. When therefore I have performed this, the giving, the giving of their gifts, right, to to the, you know, the, the suffering saints there in Jerusalem, and have sealed to them this fruit. The fruit, their offering, in the name of God, from the heart, given unto suffering saints. A fruit. A fruit. That's just real interesting, right? So we can look at it as a fruit, a work of God, something that's very pleasant unto God. <clears throat> Look at that, just uh, go to Philippians chapter 4. You see, there's nothing's in the Bible by accident. <laughs> Not a single word. Not a single word. <clears throat> starting Philippians 4, starting in verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye, want, ye sent once again, once and again, unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You know, so it's a fruit, just like, oh, here, this is what he's getting to, verse 18. But I have all, and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which are sent from you. Right? The gift, the material gift, the money that was sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So it's a sacrifice. It's not something he's saying you have to give, but you know, that, that you have to. We're not under the tithe. We're actually under much more. To give from our hearts, that was their problem. They weren't giving from the heart. You know, God has provided us for so much, so much. But it's also, right, it's something that when we give from the heart, right, un knowing it's because of what the Lord has done for us, and especially when we're helping out the brethren, right, it's an odor of a sweet-smelling aroma unto God. It pleases Him much. But, because He knows our hearts, when our heart's right before Him. Uh... I was going to time, but uh, go to, well, if we don't cover the whole thing, we don't cover the whole thing. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
So we see in that the two things, right? He's, he was praising them there, specifically in Philippians, right? For sending for his needs. He pleased them in Romans for sending unto the saints' needs. So there we have two things that we specifically see things we're to give unto, right? Good ministries, you know, that, that go around preaching, right? They're, they're, they live their lives for the gospel and for, you know, and, and for the faith, right? That's specifically what they do in a big measure, right? And, of course, suffering saints, struggling saints. So we see two great examples there. That's what our, that's what our gifts are giving, our offerings are to be used unto. First Corinthians chapter nine, uh, verse six, and this is where right he had to defend his apostleship again. There's people coming on them, but he starts in verse six of chapter nine. Are I only in Barnabas? Have not we power to forbear working? In other words, it, is it only us that can forbear working? That that can stop working? Who goeth a warfare any time in his own charges? Who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof? Or who feeds a flock and eats not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? In other words, he's not saying, you know, God does. He takes care of the beasts of the field too. But he's saying that scripture was not written Concerning oxen. Or, saith it all together for our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth, giveth, right? He that giveth unto the ministry should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. There's always this balance, and you can choose on it. But suffer all things, lest who should hinder the gospel of Christ. Throughout the whole age of the church, just like No Testament 2, people a lot of times have trouble giving. So he didn't want to hold them to that charge, but he was showing that it was right. That it was even the law, just like in the Old Testament, that those that lived... By the temple now in the Christian age, right? Those that live, they, they live their lives devoted to ministry, devoted to teaching. Right? There's nothing wrong with them being taken care of, right? Make their living off of it. But he goes on in verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. And he goes to verse 18. I'm just, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. I just want to read that, that he was talking a lot about money, and that it was right to give, and it's right for, you know, it's, it's right like for ministries to receive that. But first of all, make sure they're they're doing work under the Lord, right? Doing the work under the Lord, and that preacher and that, and it's already told. We we see others, you know, they they made they made their living. They they worked they they worked regular jobs while they preached. They said they could also that it was awful. People wanted to provide for them, 
for they could forbear working for a time or work less than that, that was, that was a good thing too. But uh, last things, we'll, I'll just say this, and we're going to have to close this up. And some other things uh, I think we'll cover, cover next week. But also for next week, just read those chapters, but also look at 2 Corinthians, all of chapters 8 and 9. And specifically pay attention to verse, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, 7 through 8, 12 and 13, chapter 9, 6 through 8. And read about those because we're going to talk about that. They even called it a gift. But when we see that, the, the deal upon us now, and I mentioned some, right, not so apparently, but we are to be generous givers. We're not to give on compulsion. We're not going to give grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he is to make all base, all grace abound, you know, toward us for doing so. But just to remember that things, no, we're not, you know, don't let anyone tell you not that you had to give so much. And I will say one thing, I think the church is the primary place you give this, where you at least give the majority of it. And then if you know of a ministry that you believe is doing good works in that, let it be known to the elders. Do we give to that? Or should we give to that? And that'd be fine. But your church is where, and a lot of, and that's what the monies are used for. Go to various, you know, uh, various uh, missionaries, very, very good outlets and that. Helping the people, in particular, struggling saints. But that's what the money's used for, and that's what it should be used for. And that's every example we have in the Bible, that's what the money is used for. And you can help the poor, but I keep in mind when this was written, right, uh, we... The, there was not this huge governmental system and this huge secular system set up to provide mightily for the poor among us. I'm talking unbelievers right now, right? But if you don't want to be so bold in the government, right, saints are to take care of saints. Not that we can't give them to the poor, but I'll guarantee you the average poor in this country is nothing like the poor in two-thirds of the world. They're their struggling need. Our people sometimes throw, out, throw away food and they, they pick and go through it and that because, well, I like this, but I don't like this. They eat fine. Believe me, there's a lot of, a lot of help and assistance for the poor in this world. So with that, anyone got any last comments or questions? Okay, then let's close in a word of prayer.